is online and we want to find ways that we can continue to build you up and encourage you even if you're not able for one reason or another to come and join us here on, on Sunday mornings. I hope you found your place in 2 Timothy chapter 2, the, the second of the texts that Heidi read for us. Uh, the title of today's message is Everyday Discipleship. Everyday Discipleship. Last week we began this series that we're calling Every Day, and we're talking about how to be followers of Jesus Christ, how to be disciples of Jesus Christ in the everyday things that we are doing. And uh, we talked about the definition last week of a, of a disciple. And uh, what we said was uh, that a, a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. And as we think this week then about what it means to move from a, a disciple to being one who makes disciples, it's important for us to talk a little bit about this idea of discipleship. One of my family's favorite movies is The Princess Bride. I think maybe it's one of the favorites in just about every Christian household. Uh, if you've seen it, you probably remember that as um, uh, Vizzini, the, uh, one of the bad guys in the movie, has uh, captured the princess, Wesley's true love, and uh, Wesley is, is begun his pursuit to try to catch up to them. And despite everything that, that Vizzini and his thugs have tried to do to evade Wesley, he continues to gain on them. And Vizzini is just uh, dumbfounded. And every time he turns around and he sees Wesley is getting closer, he utters that phrase, inconceivable. He just cannot, cannot believe that Wesley's gaining on him. And finally, after repeating it several times, uh, and Wesley's getting closer and closer and closer, uh, uh, Inigo, one of the, uh, the co-thugs, turns to Vizzini after hearing him say, inconceivable, one more time. And he says, I do not think that word means what you think it means. And, you know, when it comes to discipleship, there's a lot of confusion about what that word means. There's, uh, you can go browse Amazon or even a Christian bookstore when we're allowed to walk in those again, and you'll see volumes and volumes of books about discipleship. But for many of us, the, the, the waters are a bit muddy as to what exactly discipleship is. And we want to talk about that this morning. I actually like the phrase, a disciple maker, just a little bit better. To me, it communicates the idea a little bit more clearly. But before we talk a little bit about disciple making, I want to just take a couple of moments and, uh, and talk about what disciple making is not. We're just going to touch on this briefly, but I just want to talk about what disciple making is not. First of all, it is not something that primarily takes place in the church building. It's not something that primarily takes place in the church building. As we've seen over the last couple of months, we haven't been able to use these facilities. And so we have to ask ourselves, is it still possible to make disciples even without a church gathering? And the answer has to be yes. Because Jesus made disciples without a church building. And we'll talk more about that here. Uh, secondly, disciple-making is not a program. It's not something that uh, is, it can be um, put together in, in, a, in a neat box 
And when you follow a certain procedure, then out pops a disciple. Uh, now, there are things that you can do programmatically as a, as a, as a church body that can, that can help um, facilitate the disciple-making process, but we can't make it synonymous with a program. Thirdly, it's not someone else's job. It's not someone else's job. Um, it, it can be easy, and we've been saying lots about this over the, the last uh, weeks, um, it can be easy to, to think that it's, it's the Sunday school teacher's job. It's the pastor's job. It's, and, and you know what a lot of pastors think is that it's the seminary's job. They can do the training. Well, send them off. You know, send them off to Bible college so that they can learn more about the, the Word of God and how to follow Jesus. We need to all come to the realization that it's not someone else's job. Fourthly, disciple-making is not only between Christians. Here's what I mean by that. In the passage that Heidi read, the, the, the first one, the Great Commission, uh, where Jesus has sent, the, sent us out uh, to make disciples. Notice he, said, he doesn't draw a distinction between making disciples and evangelism. Like as if like we, we, we preach the gospel to unbelievers first, and then we go out and connect with those unbelievers who trust Jesus, and then the disciple-making process starts. Disciple-making is that whole process from beginning to end as we are interacting and getting to know an unsaved person and, and getting to know their story and, and getting involved in their life and, and beginning to point them to Jesus. That's all part of the disciple-making process. Now, obviously, if they don't trust Jesus as their Savior, that process is, is, is at least slowed down until they do. But when they come to, come to Christ... The disciple-making process, it, it continues on. It should continue on. Uh, fifthly, then, the disciple-making is not happening. In many situations and in many places, disciple-making is, is simply it's not happening. I read recently that 85% of church leaders have never been personally discipled by another believer. Can you believe that? 85%. In many situations... We're not having someone pour into us and point us to Jesus. And I hope that uh, where that might be true in our midst, that we, we remedy that. As we walk through this series and as we take some steps to be more intentional about making disciples, uh, my prayer is that we'll have a better grasp of this in a, in a real ownership. So I want to go into, and we'll spend the rest of our time this morning here talking about what disciple-making is, what it is. Well, first of all, as we turn to our text in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we see that making disciples is fueled by grace. Making disciples is fueled by grace. This is where it has to start. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I love that verse. It's a beautiful, beautiful reminder from Paul to his disciple, Timothy, that Timothy was going to need the grace of God moment by moment to fulfill his calling to make disciples. One theologian says that Paul exhorts Timothy with the present passive imperative here. 
a verb that means in the passive to be strengthened. It also means to become strong. It's consistently used in the New Testament of spiritual strength. So the strength is coming from an outside source. Paul is not telling Timothy to toughen up. He's, he's not telling Timothy to man up. But he's telling Timothy to receive strength. The present tense here indicates that Timothy was going to need to have a continual dependence upon God. It could be translated, keep on being strengthened. You see, if we are going to make disciples, we must do so in the power and in the strength and in the grace of God. And some of us really need this verse this morning. Disciple-making aside, some of us need to hear that we can be strengthened by God's grace. Are you allowing God's Spirit to strengthen you this morning? Through His grace? But then beyond that, is that strengthening just for you to feel better, to feel encouraged? Or is it sending you out? You see, it can be tempting, especially during, man, during these, these trying months, to just look for grace that will feed our own soul and then stays there. But based on the connection between verse 1 and verse 2, Paul is wanting Timothy's heart to be strengthened by grace for the purpose of going out to make disciples. We can't do this. We cannot possibly do this disciple-making task, this calling, without God's grace and strength. It's utterly impossible. David Livingstone, who was a tireless missionary in Africa for many years, was once back in his home country of England. And he was amazed by the amount of work that the pastor Charles Spurgeon got accomplished. How many times he preached during a week and his, his crazy schedule and, and how much studying he was able to do. And, and, and so Livingston said, how in the world can you accomplish so much in one day? And Spurgeon's re reply was this, you forget, Mr. Livingston, there are two of us working. We cannot accomplish this disciple-making calling unless we're fueled by grace. Secondly, making disciples involves teaching truth. Making disciples involves communicating the Word of God, teaching the Scriptures. Let's go to uh, uh, verse 2 here. And it's, he says, "...and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses." And trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Listen to this. He begins with, what you have heard from me. What had Timothy heard from Paul? He had heard the word of God taught and proclaimed. He, the scriptures had been passed down from his teacher, from the apostle to Timothy. There was content. There was information. It, Listen, as we think about making disciples, 
it's not required that we be Bible scholars. And I know that you've heard me say this before, but uh, sometimes we can be intimidated with the thought, well, I, I don't know that, I can't communicate that well, I'm not a good public speaker. Or I, I... Listen, you don't have to be a seminary graduate to be a disciple maker. Okay, Jesus picked fishermen, blue-collar day laborers, to to entrust the entire future of the church to. Okay, so let's let's just calm down a little bit and relax on that. However, you do have to know something. God wants us to take in His Word to learn from Him, so that we have something to impart, to have something to pass along. And so what Timothy was supposed to do is to take what he had heard from Paul, that which you have heard from me, and he was to pass it on. Later on in this book, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, you hear him say, You, however, have followed my teaching. The, the, uh, this young pastor, Timothy, had sat back and he had listened and learned from the Apostle Paul. He had took, taken it in. As believers, we have so many opportunities, especially here in America, to take in the Word of God, not only on our own, which, which we really, that's where it needs to start, our own personal study in the Scriptures, but as we, as we teach the Word here in our gatherings, uh, and there are so many other places that we can turn to, to grow deeper in the Scripture. Remember that every book in the New Testament is about helping others know and follow Jesus. Think about all of Paul's letters, all of what we hear from Jesus, all of the general epistles from John or Peter, and we're hearing a message that, that comes from different angles. Sometimes it's dealing with different problems. There's correction going on. There's like, hey, you guys misunderstood this. Let me explain it a different way to you. But all, in, all of it is helping people know, follow, and love Jesus. You've got the Word of God here. As we think about making disciples, start with the Word of God. The first step is believing and knowing the truth. But then number three, we see from this text that making disciples is relational. Making disciples is relational. I hope that this is a, a no-brainer for us, but uh, look, at, look at verse two. He says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. He may have been talking about Timothy's ordination. He may have been talking about some of the public teaching and the, the, the gatherings that Timothy would have been a part of as, as Paul was giving instruction to others. Uh, but he says, listen, there are others around. We gathered people in. If you remember from last week, the terminology that we saw in Matthew that Jesus, and in, in the rest of the Gospels, that Jesus used to call the disciples was this, follow me. Follow me. Do you hear it there? The relational. J Jesus didn't just say, listen to me. If he was only about preaching and delivering content, information. But he was about relationship, discipleship. True discipleship cannot take place outside of the context of relationship. And we realize we've had to get creative these last couple of months. And frankly, I think we're going to have to be creative for quite some time in how we pursue relationships. It may mean that Zoom is a part of our life for, for a while yet. It may mean that, that backyard outdoor gatherings and, uh, are going to be a part of, our, uh, part of our, our process here for a while yet. And that's okay. In fact, I think this is going to spur us on to some creative ways to make disciples that will um, reach people that hadn't been reached before. 
Making disciples must be relational. If we go back to that 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3 passage, we see uh, that, that it wasn't just Paul's teaching that Timothy was following. He says, you, however, have followed my teaching. Look at my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me. Now, there's a chance Paul could have been talking about, like, like maybe he wrote a letter to Timothy describing those things. But I don't think so. I think Timothy had firsthand experience of seeing how Paul's conduct, his aim, his purpose in life, his faith, his patience, played itself out. You see, when, when we rely simply on a, a teaching to be followers of Jesus, we're not getting the opportunity to see the teaching in action. You see, I can talk all day about being patient. I can, I can show you scriptures. I can break down Greek, Greek words and explain to you in, in technical details what, what the, the Bible communicates and, and means when it talks about patience. Now, that may be helpful. Hopefully it would help at least a little bit. Again, we've already said we have to understand the truth, so it's start. But what's more effective, me giving you a paper or a lecture on patience, or you walking with another believer as you see them face a difficult situation that goes on and on and on and requires a deep trust through a period of days, weeks, or months? What impacts you more? What sticks with you more? The lecture or the relationship? You see, Jesus got to show his disciples in the everyday stuff of life how to love people who were difficult to love. Jesus could have talked about loving tax collectors and prostitutes. He would have preached a far better sermon than any, any other preacher ever living on how important it was to get down and dirty and, and get, get your hands dirty and, and, and love and care for these people. But you know what he did? He did it. He did it with his disciples. He was right there with them. That's how we make disciples. We bring them along through relationship. I'll never forget, some of you heard me tell this story, but uh, some months ago, my oldest son Caleb was going to go on a college visit um, with his friend Luke to uh, Huntington University down in Indiana, our denominational uh, university. And uh, Luke's dad, Mike Dittman, who is a, a mentor of mine, a, a, a discipler in my own life, and um, uh, also a, has a, 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 an important role in our denomination, Mike was going to drive the two of them down. And uh, uh, right at the last minute, another one of Luke's friends, who didn't have a relationship with Christ, decided to go along. And so Mike picked up my son Caleb first, because he was uh, their, their family was up here. He picked up Caleb, and then he was going to go downstate and pick up Luke and his friend. And so on the drive from, from up north here, downstate, uh, Mike was spending time with Caleb, asking questions, getting uh, to his heart. He was discipling him. 
in that car ride. Then when they picked up the other two guys, Caleb watched, and this came from, from Caleb's observation. He saw what Mike was doing. He said, he said Mike began to ask this unbelieving friend questions and began to get to know his life, his family situation, his story, hear some of the things he was passionate about and, and, and some of the dreams that this young man had. And, and as they drove that, that couple-hour trip, Caleb observed that, that Mike was not only getting involved in this young man's life and was different points in the conversation was pointing him to Jesus. But Mike was also showing Caleb and Luke how to do it as they made that drive. And as Caleb came back and shared the story with me, he said, Dad, I, I saw what he was doing. I mean, like, he invested in me and he cared about me. And then I watched him as he cared for this young man who didn't know Jesus, but at the same time was showing Luke and I how to do it. And I thought... That's disciple-making. That's this relational disciple-making. Beautiful. But I want to warn you, it comes at a cost. It comes at a cost. You see, this kind of disciple-making, it's going to cost you time. It's going to be inconvenient at moments. It's going to mean, since we're not saying that it takes place only during the the 10 o'clock hour on Sunday mornings, it may be at times when your favorite program is on or when you had planned to go out fishing uh, with some other buddies and you're going to set that aside and, and maybe, maybe take someone else fishing. You see, this discipleship takes place relationally in the everyday stuff of life, but it, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to mean you saying no to certain things so that you can invest in others. It, it may require financially of you is I mean, if you take them out for dinner, invite them into your homes as we've been talking about and prepare a meal for them. Maybe it's a large family, a couple of families. It may cost you financially. Uh, it, it may cost you emotionally. Uh, both Jesus and the Apostle Paul have told us stories about how they have been rejected, abandoned by potential disciples by those that they've invested in. This guy by the name of Judas, you might be familiar with him. Uh, The Apostle Paul talks about a man named Demas who had forsaken him. Discipleship means opening our hearts. And we're going to know incredible joys as we see others grow in their faith and come to Jesus. But we're going to know some deep hurts too as we watch some Walk away. The thing about cost, you see, when Jesus talks about cost, it's always worth it. Some of you have realized that maybe you've went out to buy something, and you know you could buy the cheap version, whatever that is, uh, a, a cheap lawnmower, a, a, the cheap paint, um, but you know that, or the, the cheap tool, for a project, but you know what you're going to get. And so you realize that paying a little extra money up front is going to have long-lasting dividends. It's a little bit like what it is to count the cost and follow Jesus. While there are sacrifices involved, in the end, it'll be worth it. In the end, that cost will, will be insignificant compared to the joys 
of following Jesus and making disciples. There's so much more we could say, but I need to move on. Number, uh, number four, disciple, making disciples is intentional. Making disciples is intentional. I'm not going to say a lot here on this one and the next point. Um, making disciples does not just happen. Okay? You don't fall into being a disciple maker. You may fall into disciple making situations. They're going to arise spontaneously. We'll talk about that, how we just have to be alert because we're, doing, we're talking about the everyday stuff of life. You're out, you're out at, the, at the store and you see someone you know. Uh, you you got to... You got to make a drive, uh, go pick something up somewhere, and you decide to call a buddy and say, "Hey, you want to come along?" These could be spontaneous, but while you fall, may fall into disciple-making situations, you will not fall into being a disciple maker because it re- it requires intentionality. The, the word here in Second Timothy two two that caught my attention was the word entrust. That which you have heard from me in the presence of many witness, witnesses, entrust. That, that, that Greek word there literally means to hand something over for safekeeping, to give over to someone. You can, you can, just, you can just picture, uh, um, you know, even uh, Jesus told parables about, about stewardship. Here, you, I need you to look after this for me. Can you do that? Can, can you be faithful with this? That's what discipleship is. It's us passing along a relationship, the truth about Jesus Christ. There's this, this, uh, the same Greek word here is used when Jesus was on the cross in Luke 23, 46. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Same word there that Paul uses in 2 Timothy 2, 2, there's this, Jesus was giving over his spirit. He said, Father, I trust you here. I'm handing this off. My brothers and sisters, we need to be intentional about disciple making. Fifthly, disciple making is selective. Making disciples is selective. Do you notice what he says here in, in verse 2? He says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. Entrust to faithful men. This is really important and, and, and subjective because um, Paul doesn't just say anyone, just entrust this wherever, just th- toss it out there. But he gives a qualifier for the men that he was to entrust this message to, this, uh, this heritage of faith, there's a qualifier there. They were to be faithful. He had taken time to observe them. Now, as we talk about disciple-making being the whole process from when we, we, we first begin to get to know an, an unbeliever, we, we recognize that we, we're not necessarily evaluating them you can't. God, God nowhere tells us to evaluate people to see whether they're worthy of being able to hear the gospel message. So that's not what we're saying. But here at this point, he's talking about those who are farther along in the stage of discipleship. Someone who's already come to faith in Christ, and you've observed that this is a person who is faithful. They're they're involved. They're connected. They're studying the Word of God. And he's he, these are those who who we're going to have that entrusted. Probably he's talking here about about leadership sorts of things. 
passing along to faithful men those who could, who could be uh, elders one day. He's, he's had a lot to say about that in the pastoral epistles, uh, biblical eldership. Um, Jesus, we don't, we don't like this in our culture because we're all about fairness, but Jesus was selective. Jesus spent his time, the bulk of his time, with 12 people. There were times when he preached to the crowds. There were times when he spoke to those larger gatherings that were following him. But when we read the Gospels, we see that he is investing in 12 people. This is the Son of God here. If Jesus himself can't be everywhere and is okay with not treating everybody equally, so to speak, then we need to recognize that it's okay for us too. Jesus was selective in who he discipled. And even within that 12, you're sure you know this, but Peter, James, and John had more of an intimacy, more time with Jesus. You and I, we can't be everywhere at once. We can't spend an equal amount of time with everyone. And Jesus did not either. Now, let me give a quick qualifier. Our selectivity can't be based on uh, favoritism or how comfortable we are being around this person. Uh, our, our selectivity needs to be based on the guiding and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that's where we spend time in prayer. God, God who do you want me pouring into? Who do you want me investing into? He's not calling you to make disciples of every single person you know. But he is calling you to make disciples of somebody in your life. Who is his spirit leading you to spend your time investing with? And then, finally, making disciples is reproducible. Making disciples is reproducible. Notice the last part of this verse. Those who will be able to teach others also. You see, the men that Timothy was to invest in, those faithful men, the idea was that he was thinking beyond just those men, those people that he was spending time with. He was thinking on to the next generation who will be able to teach others also. In fact, it's really cool. If you, don't, if you didn't notice it here in this verse, there are four generations of discipleship going on in this text. There was Paul to Timothy, what you have heard from me, Timothy. And then Timothy's the second generation. He says, then entrust to faithful men, the third generation, who will be able to teach others also. My brothers and sisters, we need to have a mentality that thinks beyond the here and now, beyond those who are sitting in our pews or sitting at home right now watching and listening to this message. Our mentality should think about not just our children, but our grandchildren and their children. You realize that there are people alive today who will be alive in the next century, the 2100s. We need to be thinking ahead. If, if, if we're going to be the church, be on mission for God, we need to think beyond what's right in front of us. Our goal in making disciples should be to make other disciple makers, not just disciples. Does that make sense? Our goal, our hope, our passion should be not just to make disciples, but to be, make other disciple makers who can in turn be sent out and reproduce and reproduce and expand this idea. Paul hopes 
and praise for a living chain of truth that will extend through the centuries. I read just this morning that in the early 17th century, Dr. Richard Sibbs wrote a little book about Christ called The Bruised Reed, which, by the way, is an amazingly encouraging little book, if you get your hands on it. Well, a copy of that book fell into the hands of a tin peddler who gave it to a boy by the name of Richard Baxter, who became one of the greatest Puritan pastors. Pat Baxter, among many other things, wrote A Call to the Unconverted, which Philip Doddridge read in the early 18th century. And he, in turn, wrote The Rise and Progress of Religion in the Soul. One day, a man by the name of William Wilberforce picked that book up. And it so changed his life that it directed him, it moved him to lead the fight for the abolition of slavery. He was a tiny, stunted man, but had such an eloquence for Christ that James Boswell immortalized it by writing that during one of his speeches, the shrimp grew and grew and grew and became a whale. Indeed, Wilberforce became a huge influence in 19th century British culture and saw the abolition of slavery in Britain just three days before his death. Significantly, Wilberforce has been an inspiration for Charles Colson in the organization he founded, Prison Ministries. <laughs> and if we only had the stories, we could read about the lives that have been impacted through uh, prison fellowship and what Charles Colson has done the lives of inmates who've been touched. This is the kind of reproducing faith that God calls us to have in making disciples. I'm excited to continue this conversation about making disciples in the everyday stuff of life. I want to encourage you today to just take some time and, and pray. And we're going to have a few discussion questions that we're going to put on the Facebook page. And I just, I just would like you, uh, whether you're alone right now, uh, if you're alone right now, maybe uh, give somebody a call and talk about them. If you're home with your family right now before everybody scatters, uh, just take a few moments and, and take a look at, at, these, at these questions and think through uh, what it means to be a disciple maker. What, what are the, the kinds of characteristics that, that need to change in my life for me to be an effective disciple maker? And then who are the kind of people... That, uh, who, are, who are the people that God is calling me to walk alongside in the everyday stuff of life? And then finally, ask yourself, how am I going to do this? Come up with a plan, some, some practical action steps. Don't just leave it out there kind of like, yeah, I really should think about doing this someday, but, but make it happen. Be, put, put, put some concrete thoughts in writing so that you can either continue or begin this journey of being a disciple maker. I'm excited about what God is going to do as we walk through this time together. Let's, let's bow as we close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Jesus has called us on this great mission, the great commission, to make disciples wherever we go. God, get us out of a mindset that it's, that it, that it's about a study or a curriculum, or a program. Get us out of a mindset that, that thinks it's someone else's job. And, and God, may we first of all understand what it is to be a disciple, then what it is to be a disciple maker. 
and then go do it. We know that we can't, we can't do it unless we're strengthened by the grace of Jesus Christ. Unless His Holy Spirit, in those moments, gives us the words to say, so, Oh God, we ask that Your Holy Spirit would, would bring these, these truths awake and alive in our hearts. That we might have a clear vision of what You're calling us to personally and as a church in making disciples. And then may we be obedient and help others follow Jesus as we follow Jesus. And it's in His precious name we ask these things, O oh God. Amen. May God bless you as you serve Him today.